You're listening to the SpyFi After Dark Podcast. And we're here. SpyFi After Dark Season 3. What's going on, everyone? So, um, I don't know if you heard, Alex, but there's a global pandemic going on outside. I have. Okay. I was hoping for a more funny reaction, but <laughs> sorry. It went viral. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> everyone knows about it. Ah! Yeah. I feel like I've heard that joke a nauseating amount of times. Yeah. Yeah. Seen enough co videos. Naz- nausea. <laughs> yeah, I got <All> you. Right. <laughs> <sighs> Just not landing with the same gusto as usual. <laughs> um, yeah, don't hold your breath with these okay, jokes. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. To, for the audience. I promise this is the only time we're going to discuss this godforsaken thing in detail. But I figured it would be irresponsible not to do one episode on COVID in one episode alone. I promise this will never be the subject, the main primary subject of an episode again. Because we're all kind of sick and tired of hearing of it. Mm-hmm. Right, I've, I've used that one before. Got the it's, Punisher over here. Yeah. It's okay. Um, but yeah, so obviously this is a thing that is affecting our lives. We all know that you're staying inside. You're doing your part, hopefully. And if you're not, go fuck yourself. But if you are, um, yeah, this world is kind of weird right now. Mm-hmm. kind of sucks. I know it's really disrupted my life. Yeah. I mean, it's an event like this, interestingly enough, will have a polarizing effect on society first of all the authenticity of the event seems to be that of contention (laughs) okay there is that right yeah all right right you have that and then that's aside from the fact that whether or not this should be treated seriously and it should be treated seriously how do you go about adapting to this scenario as a Uh country right so How, how are our leaders handling this yeah so what is your favorite part of this crisis? Just to open this on a positive okay, note. Uh, the public, the, the new sense of public awareness um, to the uh, propensity of something like this happening. Okay. Um, also, I, I now hear in conversation discussion that I like. I'm not a virologist by any means, but mm-hmm. I do like having those kind of conversations with people now about why it's difficult to mm-hmm. deal with so a you virus. pretend to be an epidemiologist for exactly. a few minutes. No, yeah. exactly. So it's like people are talking about the pathology of viruses, which is mm-hmm. awesome. I know. People are talking about the inherent dangers of viruses. I like where we're heading as a society. You know what I'm saying? Because again, yeah. viruses... The uptick of public consciousness thank is you. nice. The uptick, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's positive. Yeah. And I think when this passes... That like general awareness, public knowledge is not going to go away. I hope so. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's a positive take from this. Yeah. I think it'll certainly at the very least expand it to a larger percentage of people than it was at before. I am a little worried though, too, um, just regarding like the long-term impact of something like this regarding like, like how ordinary processes work in like entertainment school, like how are those things going to be like? Okay, we'll get to that in a second. I do want to say my favorite thing about I fig- this crisis. Yeah, sorry, I, mean, I figured that'd be the um, kind of jump. So my my favorite thing so far about the crisis is all of the millionaires making videos in their mansions about how you should learn yoga. <laughs> I'm, I'm missing any reference here, but... It's just a general joke. It's, yeah. There's no context. But necessary. you're right, though. There's just there are a lot of people making videos about, you know, social distancing and staying inside. And it's funny because obviously there was that one week in March where just it became real immediately. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure you experienced the same thing. Mm-hmm. I went from like, oh, this is this curious thing happening to like, holy shit, this is right now. Like there yeah. was no like ramp up. It was just immediate. Yeah, it definitely. Just all of a sudden, overnight, there's like four videos from YouTubers I watch about social distancing. Yeah, it it, it definitely played out like some like really important like world series or conference 
everyone is like glued to like the stats yeah and trends regarding like the uh, spread of this thing and yes it is very real and it's very real outside of new york yeah. well okay so obviously my answer was tongue-in-cheek but in reality um i am actually that is actually my favorite part of this crisis even though it's a little tone deaf because you do have an opportunity in a crisis like this to do some stuff for yourself mm, and, go on. and you take some time to learn something new, to exercise a little more, yeah. to, no, I, to do, just do a couple of little things in your life that are good for you. Um, because you have a little more time in your hands or a lot more time in your hands. If you're unemployed, uh, you just have an opportunity to potentially improve your life a little bit. I will say on social media, I've noticed some general trends um, where like productivity is being pushed. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. That's the, the flip side to this is there is like the productivity police, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, there's like memes. Like if you're not like doing X, Y, and Z, uh, <laughs> it's not that you don't have the time. It's that you're lazy or something. Yeah. Uh, it's like, that's just not productive. No, right. I mean, as a society, we're going through this like global anxiety inducing, depression inducing event. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't expect people to be performing at 100%. Mm-hmm. I certainly have not been. Um, so, so yes, that that's obviously not fun. Plus, to restorations witness. are also a form of being productive long term. So, like, taking time yes. now to like relax, unwind, maybe consider certain big changes that you can make in your life. Like, yeah, do, to your point, like self-reflecting is a productive thing. Relaxing is a productive thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yes, potentially, uh, potentially watching 10 hours of Netflix a day, probably not the best thing for you, but in the short run, probably not the worst thing for you either. I mean, if you're accruing PTO, I mean, it could be, <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, those who are still employed. Hey, and interestingly enough for, for those who are not employed, the $600 a week in unemployment increase is a lot of money for a lot of people. Yes. There are a lot of people that are unemployed that are making more money being unemployed than they were making employed. Are you sh- 600? Yes. It's not going to be for us. Like that doesn't matter for us. No, but I'm thinking like, what does that e- it's 2400? It's 24, 2500 a month. No, no, no. I guess I'm an hourly on a 40 week or on a 40 hour week. Uh, that's like fifteen bucks. Let's let's say twenty five hundred a month on average, right? Twenty five hundred over. Uh, it's fifteen bucks. Or let's just do for for four weeks, right? What am I doing? Just do six hundred over forty. Jesus Christ! Yes. It's fifteen. Yeah. Um, that's that's not. Maybe you're actually you're right. Holy that, shit! Fifteen. That's even higher than I thought it was. Yeah. For some yeah at first, I was thinking that's not that high. Then I'm like, wait. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, hold on. That, that is. is a pretty now, pretty nice cut. Now it is taxable on the back end, so it's not. Uh, you do have to pay taxes against an unemployment income. A lot of people don't know that, but you do. That's you don't still... have to. You don't have to pay it immediately, but you will owe taxes on it if you don't have it mm. withdrawn at the time of payment. Because mm-hmm. a lot of states will allow you to withdraw taxes on it. Just like a paycheck, like, a, like a, yeah, like but a wage. You can also choose not to do that and pay it yourself later. It's up to you. So it's, same, it's just treated like a wage, then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, however, in Arizona, our default unemployment. Uh, take a guess. Take a guess at how much you get in Arizona for unemployment per week, at maximum. I thought it was something like fifteen hundred a month. Okay, I hit a shortcut and it accidentally stopped recording. Very good. Okay. So fifteen hundred a month is what you said, right? Yeah, roughly. Over four weeks is three seventy five a week on average. The maximum unemployment benefit in Arizona is a whopping two hundred and forty dollars a week. Wait, it's less than I thought. Yeah, two hundred forty dollars a week, which equiv- equivocates to six dollars an hour at a forty hour work week. Yeah, it's pathetic. But my, my question to follow up on that is how viable is the current minimum wage for like sustaining a like life, a life, not at okay, all. And this is like a, is this less so, than half? Like so what's minimum in, wage at in right Arizona, now in Arizona? In Arizona, your full unemployment benefit of the Arizona unemployment plus the 600 a week federal equivalent equivalates to 
$21 an hour of a 40 hour work week. Yeah. Cause you're just adding the $6 and 15. Which is like, that's pretty much the baseline livable wage in Phoenix for a single person. Fine. That's pretty much baseline. When I, when I, my first job, it was a part-time job at, um, infusion. I think 15 is actually okay. Okay. So go on. It's possible. Yes. So go my on. first job was $24 an hour mm-hmm. and it was part-time and I was able to survive obviously with a roommate, you, um, and minimal other expenses and it was okay. And I had a little bit extra, but, um, it's, you can't live alone mm-hmm. on yeah, that income. You're right. And you're also single. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have someone to share expenses with. Yeah. That's what I say roommate with another person. So, uh, so yes. Yeah. There's no. obviously there's like a heavy implied incentive to being in a long-term relationship once you cut down your monthly expenses by so much, uh, since you can share a space and that's the biggest expense for most people. But, uh, but yes, at, at $21 an hour, that's a 40,000 salary, 42,000 salary, depending on how you calculate it. Mm. Um, it's livable. You're not cruising by any means. You can do it in Phoenix. Um, but you will not have any luxuries and you will probably need a roommate. Mm -hmm. Um, it's possible 15, 15 again is doable. It's going to be tight. You're going to have. No luxuries at all. It was going to be tight with roommates. Yes. If you have, if you have roommates, uh, it will be tight regardless and you will have no luxuries. Mm -hmm. Like you will get, you'll get maybe one or two luxuries during Mm -hmm. the year. The reason why I brought this up is do we know what the minimum wage is currently? Yes. In Arizona, it is 11 or $12 an hour. 12. So unemployment is half. I think it's 11 because we, we passed a, minimum wage increase uh, ballot initiative a couple years back and it was it increased year over year it started by going up to 10 and then it was going up to yes yeah, 12 yeah okay to exactly 50 percent. i wonder yeah. if that was the calculation whenever they got to uh it's been this unemployment hasn't changed for a while in arizona oh, okay as far as i know don't i mean Look it up, but yeah, I don't, don't think you. it has changed. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Okay. In a while. Um, so some cities are a little bit higher, by the way. There's yeah, just min- Arizona I, in general. I understand 12. that minimum wage is not supposed to be up like the minimum for baseline for like living. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. There's a place. Yeah. For it. Fine. Well, yeah. <laughs> it should be, but it's a whole other discussion. Um so yeah, as far as <laughs> we went so far off topic from what I, I wanted to I talk about in this first I half. was actually gonna disagree with you. I don't I don't think it should it should be the baseline for her. Okay, we'll talk about this for a minute. We'll we'll switch over to the other stuff later. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> okay. Um no, I mean I just like <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like things people gotta live, you know, and a lot of people make minimum wage because corporations suck. And frankly, frankly, the economy is, frankly, the economy is built to work best for like the top 10% of people and not just in terms of actual monetary means. And I'm, when I'm saying top 10%, I'm including us. Like, I think we're in the strata of top 10%, top 10% of income. Let's say top 20% of income. Yeah, I would say top 20%, maybe even a little bit, maybe 30%. But it's like if you have a white-collar job making high five, low six figures, the economy is working really great for you because not only do you have a good income, you also have access to cheap shit. Like we outsource a ton of stuff to other countries to make it cheaper, and we squeeze workers at the lower level to make going out cheaper make fast casual cheaper, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So ultimately we're kind of the ones seeing most of the benefit ironically, but people have to work at I'd those levels. How it works, but yeah, they, I mean, they have to work at those levels. I guess what I, I guess I would, what do you think about having two minimum wages for part-time versus full-time? 
The only reason why I'm suggesting this, I know it makes no sense at first, but the only reason why I'm suggesting this is because... No, I know exactly why you're suggesting okay. it. Because, you know, that that's the thing is there's this there's this implication that if you're working part-time, it's like not the same as if it's your full-time. And I don't... I think it's... Uh, I think it's unnecessarily vilifying a type of income. I understand, but from like an employer's perspective. Besides the fact that employers already are making it very hard for you to work full time anyway because of healthcare rules. Are you talking about benefits and stuff? Yes. Yeah, like access? Yeah, Yeah. because if you work full time for a certain number of months, they have to offer you benefits. Um, Right. But the fact of the matter is that say I'm a college student going to school. And I don't have time to work a full-time job. I have 20 hours a week for a part-time job at Starbucks. To um, and, and if I'm going to college like that, I'm not just doing that job for some spending money. I'm doing that job maybe to help pay my bills every month. Like I get a certain amount of extra financial aid I can use for some of my living expenses, but I have to pay for the rest of it with a job. Mm -hmm. And besides the fact that even if it was just for like incidental, like fun purchases for me or whatever, why does that matter? Yeah. To an employer, that's all registered as like consequential unreliability on your end. Not from an employer, but like, why does it matter as far as the society is concerned? No, I'm talking about from an employer. So like, like working part time, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but to me, it there's always some kind of bad implication towards your employer. Towards your employer? Like your employer receives it. Like your your employer doesn't treat you the same as someone who works full time. Wait, wait. So, so I receive it, or my employer receives Sorry, it? Sorry. So the employer will treat you. So you receive it. Yeah, you're treated differently because you're yes. part time. Yes, yeah. I, I have experienced yeah, that. And yeah, and I feel like when you when you work part time in a position. You may give off the impression that your said position is not of priority. It also implies lack of stability. Like yeah. for the employer. Like you're but not that's, gonna that's you're not an gonna argument, have a part- that's an argument that there should that it should be the same. Because if you're already being disrespected by mm-hmm. definition, then by also being able to pay you less, that allows them to further discriminate against you. Oh, you're saying in the like in the context of two to yeah. uh, uh, wages. Yeah. I don't think part-time work is inherently less valuable than full-time work. That's what the argument, at the end of the day, that's what the argument boils down to. If you make that argument, I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but that's no matter how you no, go, you end up at that place. You're right. You're right. Um, I will say that is, uh, would part-time be more expensive like having more people on your payroll administration wise administrative it's it's clearly not expensive enough for companies to not do it right and to uh because uh, most of those and to dodge benefits and stuff like this right by having more people low-level service benefits do it anyway they have Mm. more staff that are part-time and then these people work three jobs instead of just having one full-time job they work two or three part-time instead. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, the fact of the matter is people do have to work at that level, and they have to make enough money to live. Like, they have to. Not only, it's not just a moral thing. It's like, if they can't live properly, that doesn't do anyone else a service. Like, it's not helping us. Like, I'm not better off if my barista doesn't make enough money to pay their bills. You know? In the short run, maybe it makes my coffee 25 cents cheaper. But I mean, come on. Like, it's not a considerable difference. I don't know. It's it's kind of a reductionist way of looking at it. But no, I understand. I mean, you're right. There's like, there's plenty of like leeway for massive companies to just spend more on their employees. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also just our company's really operationally working on such a tight budget. No, they're not. That's the real question. Some some places are, but not these kinds of places. Um, 
And the fact of the matter is it's not even a moral question. Another question I have for you is like, like regarding employment, how much contribution to employment across, let's just say the United States is coming from massive corporations. Like, it's a, like, you know what I'm saying? That's a good question. It's, it's a large number. I, I'm sure. Cause uh, they're massive corporations, but I'm curious what it is. And the problem is like the definition of small businesses like changes Walmart, considerably. You know what I mean? Yes. Think about um, that contribu- contribution to our employment. Let's see here. Oh, God, this is a full white paper. That's too much. Well, hold on. Percentage of total employment by enterprise employment size in 2012. Uh Large enterprises, 51.6%. Very small, 17.6%. Small, 16.7%. And medium, 14%. Now, how do they define those is the question. Let's see if they have some figures here. Uh, um, oh, here we go. St- enterprise firm, uh, very small is fewer than 20 employees, small 20 to 99, medium 100 to 499, large 500 or more. Okay, that's fair. That's how I would pretty much categorize it. So 51% from large corporations, 51.6 in 2012, and it's a higher percentage now. Because um, more employment has been shifting that way over time. That's what it's I, would, been yeah, consolidating. I, I would think the same. Yeah, uh, the, the market has been consolidating in general. So more companies have gone from small to medium and medium yeah, to large. Just up. Um, so so where, where does your question follow from that? No, I mean, that answers it. But it sounds like you were like setting something up I wasn't, with that question. Just that larger companies can probably get away with Spending a little more for their, yes. you know, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Larger companies have a larger margin to work with. But also just in general, um, the more, the actually, and I just want to emphasize it. It's not, it's really not even a moral question. I think a lot of people will sort of make a stink out of like, oh, you're just saying that because. You know, you say it's the right thing to do. What if I don't think it's the right thing to do or whatever? Like to take like a moral position against it. It's not a moral question because paying those employees better is objectively good for the economy. It's not even about like, is it the right thing to do? If they have more money to spend, they spend it. And money is cyclical. So Mm -hmm. it's not like spending more money on them takes money out of the economy somehow because that money money immediately goes back in, like immediately, the same month. What would be the opportunity cost of not spending that money on increasing the wages for employees? Where would that money go otherwise? Uh, Generally, it concentrates in shareholders, generally speaking. Um. And again, like that money does eventually go back into the economy too, because it goes back into the supply side. But when you have supply side driven economics, what you're basically doing is squeezing the market to run faster and faster and faster because the supply is not going to reinvest money if they don't think they're going to get more returned. But money is not just being invented by the economy all the time. Only the government can do that. And they only invent so much money every year. Of course, in a crisis like this, they're inventing a lot lot. more money, but this is an exception, not the rule. So in a supply side economy, you drive the economy to just run faster and faster. You drive people to run leaner and leaner. You drive organizations to run leaner and leaner. So a big reason why a recession right now is so bad is because when you have an economy that is so supply side oriented, there is no safety Involved. It's like when you're riding a bicycle at an incredibly fast speed and you immediately slam on the brakes. You're going to fuck. You're going to fall like you're going to wobble and fall quickly because you you the speed is what's keeping you going. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the speed slows down, you fall over. So we have been running a supply side driven economy for 40 to 50 years. Uh, increasingly so year over year 
And eventually it it can't last forever. Like by definition, but like structurally it cannot last forever. At some point it has to give because you can't, you cannot have increasing profits year over year forever. You just can't without inventing money to add to the economy. Mm -hmm. You can only get so lean. And right now, most people before this crisis happened, didn't have enough money to cover a $400 expense. Like 60, 70% of the country doesn't have enough. Yeah. $500, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have enough money to cover a $400, $500 expense that comes out of nowhere. So when you run people lean like that for so long, it just eventually doesn't work. And so if you shift money towards the demand side, you pay a larger percentage of corporate income to employees, then they're able to build security for themselves personally. They spend more money, which is good for the economy. It keeps money circulating. Again, the key is you want to keep money circulating. As long as it's circulating, you're good. Mm-hmm. As soon as it stops circulating, that's when you have problems. Right. Um, and then on top of that, you can actually diversify the supply side. That's the other benefit is if people are experiencing good incomes long enough, they start becoming investors. And right now the stat is like, I don't remember the exact stat, but it is 90 some percent of the stock market is owned by like 8% of the population. So that ratio would change in a demand centered economy because mm-hmm. more, if more people have Maybe enough bought, income to buy have in. extra income, they yep. buy in mm-hmm. and they'd become investors. So now all of a sudden they are taking part in the supply side too. And that's a more stable and healthy economy for a long time. So that's like, that's the main reason for a higher minimum wage, but it's not just a higher minimum wage. It's, it's a higher minimum wage coupled with an expectation that corporations should take this um, uh, input as a means to reduce their own profit. That's the key is you have to cut down corporate profit and transfer it to employees. If you just raise the wage and allow them to raise their prices in response, then you don't help yourself. Mm -hmm. But culturally we can tell them that's not okay and they won't do it because they have to exist at the end of the day and they exist at our mercy. We are their customers. Mm -hmm. If we stop spending money on them, they go out of business. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, culturally you can make an impact as a consumer by, uh, being, I guess a conscious consumer. Yeah. I was going to say conscious of, uh, who you're supporting. Yeah. It's a term I've heard. Yeah. So like, let's just say some kind of large corporation is, starting to do that well okay and to tie this back into COVID a little bit um i don't know how much you know about the whole uh stimulus bill a large portion of it was was called the payroll protection program mm-hmm. and then uh something that stands that ends up being eidl they're both basically uh subsidies loans slash grants given to corporations to retain employees um and unfortunately, the definition of small business to the SBA is way too inclusive because I, I kid you not, this is going to piss you off. Two of the biggest recipients of the money for that's designated for small businesses that we know of so far, then there's going to be more that we haven't heard of yet. But the ones that we know of so far are Shake Shack which is not a small business and Ruth Chris. How large are these companies? I mean, huge, right? Huge. Uh, Ruth Chris is like 500 million a year in revenue. Um, Shake Shack is, it's all over the East coast. It doesn't have a whole lot on the West coast, but it's a, it's, it's a it's, big company. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of employees, probably thousands of employees. Um, I'm Ruth Chris. I'm sure also has thousands of employees. Um, are those just two examples? Those are just two examples. Those are two that I've heard of so far. And I'm, I guarantee you there are others that we so have not heard of. So what was the criteria for small business? Uh, I'm not hundred percent clear on this, but somehow they were able to qualify. So it clearly wasn't that selective if they were able to qualify. Um, By the way, back to like, I'll, we'll keep moving forward with this, but like, I just wanted to add one more thing to like our previous thought. Sure. A good example of being conscious would be like supporting Costco. 
Yes. Costco, yes. You know Costco has a good reputation. Now I'm going to go back to, yeah. anyway, sorry. Um, in general, it's, being a conscious consumer is very hard because unfortunately the information you need to make those decisions is not easy to get. Yeah, it's easy to be misinformed too. Yes, it, it, that's the thing is it's very easy to be misinformed. Um, it's very easy to manipulate data to make, you make your company look better than it is. Um, in general, like rules are, you kind of want to avoid companies that do stock buybacks, avoid companies with high executive compensation, uh, prefer companies that are smaller and more local, that kind of stuff. But it's also more expensive to be a conscious consumer ultimately. Yeah. Um, especially when you do like small and local because it's a little bit more expensive to produce in the United States than it is in China, mm -hmm. but it's better for the economy in the long run. So plus those, those same companies are still somewhat profit driven. Yes. I mean, they're they still, to be, they're right? still making a profit yeah. at the end of the day. Oh. Prices um, are adjusted, et cetera. Yeah. Yes. The, the prices are more expensive because it costs more to make stuff. Yeah. Um, but generally, probably their profit margins are a little bit lower than yep. their competitors. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for a couple minutes and we'll come back and maybe we'll actually talk about COVID <laughs> <the> virus. <laughs> Hey there, podcast listeners. This podcast is proudly sponsored by me. That's right, me. I'm here to tell you about a project I've been working on called the Iowa Moccas. It's a democracy technology project with an accompanying live stream that will be happening sometime in June. Basically, a friend and I are building a real caucus software. This project is based on the now famous debacle that's known as the 2020 Iowa Democratic Caucus when the Iowa Democratic Party utilized a new technology for the first time in running its caucus except the technology kind of failed really bad. The thing is, the software that you'd use to run a caucus is not actually that complicated. And so my friend and I wanted to basically just build it. And we're gonna run a live stream mock caucus or mockus to prove that it works. Head on over to iowamockus.com because I know, I know you wanna learn more about it. Sign up for email updates. We'll keep you updated along the way. I promise we'll use your email very responsibly, more responsibly than pretty much everyone else in politics. And we are going to need a few volunteers to actually make the moccas happen. It's a really, really small commitment of time, but we do need people to fill the spots for the live stream. So once again, head on over to iowamoccas.com, sign up for updates, sign up to be a part of the caucus if you want to be a part of it. Like I said, it's a small commitment. We're talking five to 10 minutes of your day. Anyways, that is it for me. Let's get back to the episode. action back and back uh, okay so we did intentionally set out to talk about covid um mixed job so far you know on that on that front uh could be better or needs improvement perhaps uh so i don't know about you so i posted a thing recently there was a study, and actually I think I had mentioned this to you. There's a study in California, San Francisco, some researchers who did a antibody serum test on a large number of people, like 3,000 people in San Francisco mm -hmm. uh, to get a baseline reading on what the overall infection rate has actually been. Antibodies exist once you've had the disease. Mm -hmm. And they found that the total number of people who had had the disease was like around 5% of their sample size, which is significantly higher than the total tally. With respect to the population in California. Which, which makes, well, specifically the population in that county. Sorry. Yeah. Um, which makes complete sense, right? Because you're not going to get tested unless you have symptoms. Mm -hmm. And if you have right. mild symptoms... Right. You may never go to the doctor. Behaviorally, you're not going to change. So you're you're gonna you know you're not going to take the uh, quarantining as seriously. You may still talk and interact with people. Well, I things. just I mean in that there those people are not going to be counted. Like the right. official tally we have is oh. only confirmed cases. Yes. So no, if your if your symptoms are really mild or non-existent, 100%. a lot of people presumably have no symptoms. Yeah. 
then you may never end up getting tested. I'm sorry. You may even get mild symptoms and be like, I think I have COVID, but never get a test anyway because your symptoms aren't bad enough to be tested. No, right, right, right. So, so, so there's that, and then that's going to bring up two things. On the one hand, like we, we may have a wrong understanding of how contagious this virus actually is, but on the other hand, mm-hmm. the mortality rate and how is, deadly it is, is yeah. inflated. Yeah. So, right? so there's so an inverse the main, relationship there. The main takeaway from this study, which it wasn't in the headline, but I included this as part of my post was mm-hmm. um, that the mortality rate is lower than, yeah. than, than our numbers would suggest because more people have had it than we thought. Yes. Um, I pers- based on the, this, the numbers here were saying that there are anywhere like their study numbers show that there are 50 to 80 times more people infected than we think. That's incredible. Which is insane. Right. Yeah. Um, but then even, even there are actually are problems with also counting deaths properly. So even if deaths are undercounted by a factor of two or three, which yeah, is very possible. That, that, I mean, that's generous that's still, and that's still not cutting into the 50 to 80 yeah, magnitude. And then all- 50, let's just say 50 to four. As a ratio, that's right. insane. Plus, plus, this study, um, just general kits available for testing, things like this, are all symptomatic of the known outbreak of mm-hmm. COVID and the like, like the awareness we have now. This could have actually been here previously. Mm-hmm. Right. There are theories that it was. Yeah. I mean, if you have like. There are theories that, because the thing is, China has also backdated its estimate of when the disease started several times. Mm -hmm. So there are theories that the disease actually first was seen in humans in like fall of 2019. Right. Right. Like October, September. Right. And uh, migrated and and existed in their population for a while before Mm -hmm. enough serious cases were identified without a cause mm-hmm. and then attributed to a new disease exactly. and found that um, it could have spread far enough to particularly in California where there's a lot of traffic from Asia. There's a lot of travel coming in and out from China um, to San Francisco, Seattle mm-hmm. um, and other West coast cities yep. because they like living there and they come visit there all right. the time. So there's a theory that disease has actually been in the United States since probably winter 2019, mm-hmm. you know, December, mm-hmm. uh, maybe January. Right. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's plausible. And then our, our first confirmed case wasn't until I think it was like what, February or late January or something I like that. I think February. Um, so, but so it's probably been here a month or so longer than we thought, mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit more than that. Right. And the death rate is probably more realistically about, 0.1 to 0.5 percent mm-hmm. um and then you can compartmentalize that by demographic and, yes and, and your and the susceptibility key, the, as a- the key thing being that if your symptoms become serious your death rate is more likely to be about three to five percent mm-hmm. when i say serious i mean like enough to where you would meet testing criteria yeah essentially like whether or not you're like symptomatic yeah, yeah. like thoroughly symptomatic yeah thoroughly yeah Uh, And and again, back on that idea and the notion that like this may have been here previously. I mean, again, like the common symptoms are concurrent with like other diseases. Yeah. And and, so it's it's very easily masked. In particular, uh, we had recorded a particularly bad flu season this year. There you go. And there's no like arbitrary reason for that to be. Sometimes it just happens. Mm -hmm. It can be coincidence, but it's also possible that. Uh, a number of flu cases were misattributed. Right. Like there could have been a number of COVID cases that were misattributed as flu cases. Mm-hmm. Possible. Because not everyone who has the flu is actually tested for the flu. Yeah. Um, not always. It, you know, usually, but not always. But the main, the main takeaway being, uh, A, doesn't mean the disease is not serious. The fact of the matter is that the serious part of the disease is how fast it spreads. Right. Even with just our confirmed cases, the spread rate is very fast. Hundred mm-hmm. like, percent. The viral you know, load it's supposedly every required like two to four days. Like yes. it's nuts. It's real a really really fast spread. Yes. So that's the danger in that. Even if only you know one percent of people develop serious symptoms, or even like 05 percent of people develop serious symptoms, if it all of a sudden infects ten million people the so, next day. Mm-hmm. 
that's a lot of people that will develop serious symptoms and we won't have the capacity to, to handle that. Right. So that's, that's the reason why social distancing is important. Super important. Because we have to reduce, we have to reduce the speed of the spread long enough for us to develop effective therapies mm-hmm. and ways to triage the disease without filling up emergency rooms. And you have to, and you have to engage in a quarantining um, like a regimen for quite some time because of the incubation. So you can actually yeah. get like a fair and yes, real understanding and of, of the status yeah, of the United States. And obviously the other, the other well, dangerous the part of this disease is the incubation can be very long. Extremely long. It so for be, instance, you if you're know, up to two weeks, if and, you're seeing you spikes spread without symptoms, if which you're is, seeing spikes, for instance, like on TV, that could be symptomatic of days, even yeah, a week that and a spike, half. That spike is five to 10 days. Delayed. Right. Exactly. And with a doubling rate of like, two to four days that's a a a 10 day delayed spike includes four doublings Mm -hmm. you know which is insane (laughs) that's a lot of people after a little bit of time Mm -hmm. um and so the main main thing i do want to emphasize is if you get the disease it's almost always not going to kill you so you should not be terrified of this disease and it's not worthy of that there are some signs that potentially there are some lingering, um, lingering issues in your lungs. If it gets into your lungs, it can cause some yeah, scar like, tissue damage. Yeah, some permanent damage to your lungs. It's unclear if your body is able to resolve that over time because we simply this hasn't been around long enough for us to know. Mm-hmm. It needs, you know, we need someone who has had it for a year to be able to tell. I also don't know if that was tied to heavy symptoms. Uh, I think generally, yes. Yeah, so like so the, the coughing. The more heavy your symptoms are, the more damage the, is done, which makes sense. Any mnemonic development probably causes it. But yeah. if you, if, again, if you're not symptomatic, you that may not even happen to you. So, But uh, our, honestly, logic and our knowledge of biology would indicate that most likely any of that damage that does occur will be healed over time by right. your body naturally, unless you're older and you have less ability to do that to heal or to in recover. general. But especially if you're young, your body will most likely just be able to sort of heal it over time. Right. Um, and you may have compromised lung function for six months, 12 months, you know, who knows? It may, may stick around for a little while, but eventually it'll get sorted out. Um, so, so yeah, I do, I just, I do want people to realize that it's not a disease worth being scared about of itself, but it is a disease worth slowing the spread of regardless mm-hmm. because it can be serious for some people. You should take it seriously. You should incorporate proper, uh, quarantining practices for the sake of being responsible to people around you and yourself. Mm-hmm. But to Millen's point, um, you shouldn't be fearful. Yeah. And I mean, I guess even we should probably even assess the fact that we're technically within six feet and we're within a closed room. It really doesn't even matter if you were six feet, six feet apart. We're in the same room Mm -hmm. for an extended period of time. Yeah, that's I think So if one of us had it, both of us. I think it's more so an arbitrary tool. Yeah. It's like a speed limit. It, it is. It is. Yeah, exactly. It's like a speed limit. It's so, a way, it's a way to give people structure to generally follow good practice. Yeah. But, um, but to your point too, the but, viral load required for transmission is so low that even like non-filtering air. Mm-hmm. Can, yes. Yeah. It can lead but to also, it. but also on top of that, the amount of viral load you get is apparently pretty, um, considerably tied to the severity of your ultimate symptoms, which makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah. The smaller your initial load, the less likely you are to develop serious symptoms. Because the more of the viruses in your system, the more likely it is purely by happenstance statistics to get into your lungs. Mm. Like the less of it is there, the less opportunities it has to jump Mm -hmm. Um, or to get into your intestines or or other areas that have ACE2 receptors. ACE2 receptors. Um, So if you, and that's the thing is if you get passing exposure to someone, you probably will never develop anything more than mild symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, even if the person's pretty sick, if you have extended exposure, especially extended exposure to someone who's sick, then you probably will you'll have, you have a much higher chance mm-hmm. of having serious symptoms. And that's why it's particularly dangerous for healthcare workers because they are around people who are very sick and we're seeing, all the time. We're seeing that. Yep. And they're the ones getting hit. They're the hardest hit. Pers- yes. Uh, a segment of the population, right. which makes sense. So that's the other thing is the more we can reduce the spread of the disease, the less they have to deal with and the less 
um, they will get infected mm -hmm. as a secondary benefit. Yeah, we definitely need to uh, do this for the sake of um, the lack of capacity we have. Mm -hmm. Our infrastructure for this is not there. No, it's not. Do you it's know what not existing. And again, like, and it's a symptom. It's ironically similar to what we were talking about earlier. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Millen Singh, host of SpyFi After Dark. I'm here to just please ask you to rate and or subscribe on whatever platform you might be listening on. It really makes a really big difference to us and it makes us feel really good about ourselves. So you really should just do it for that reason alone, honestly. But seriously, it boosts our organic search rankings and makes it easier for people to find the podcast. And so it would really help us out a lot if you could shoot us a rating, subscription, whatever's applicable on whatever platform you might be listening on. Anyways, that's it for me. Let's get back to the episode. Again, like, and it's a symptom. It's ironically the symptom of what we we're talking about earlier. As corporations, of course, pushed to make things more lean, government has had the same influence because mm -hmm. the same type of people are running government as running corporations. Yeah. So, like, expenditure on things that are preventative, yeah, with like we, no we return, don't do you don't do it, yeah. Um, and again, like, something like this, like an epidemic like this, is, is moving rampantly through our well, through the world mm -hmm. concurrently with a viral season. Yes. Okay, hospitals are not being filled just because. Yes. Right. And it's, that's, it's just it's just another. Yeah. Factor and that's, the for other, them. that's the other thing is also the more covid patients you have in the hospital, the more dangerous it is for non covid patients to go to the yeah, hospital. Cross load and stuff like that. Oh, that too. Yeah. So like that too. right now, you really don't want to break your foot <laughs> right. or break your leg or something like you don't you want to avoid potential hospitalization at all costs mm -hmm. because if you get hospitalized Inherent right risk now, over there. you're pretty much guaranteed to get it mm -hmm. realistically like it's a very high chance of getting cross-contaminated how embarrassing is it as a nation to have like issues with uh it's medical so support? embarrassing yeah and i mean the whole the whole thing with trump <clears throat> disbanding the pandemic team that's just sort of emblematic of the problem but in reality, these problems probably predated his presidency. Like, yeah. there's no way he caused all of this in three years. The lack of infrastructure, it's not just at a government level. Hospitals don't have it either. Mm -hmm. They're not properly prepared. Part of it is because, ironically, even though the healthcare industry is such a huge percentage of our GDP, the ones making all the bank are healthcare insurance and drug companies and device manufacturers, not the providers. The providers often run on very thin margins. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially hospitals, they mm -hmm. run on like three, four percent margins. So they don't even have the bandwidth to buy the kinds of supplies to have um, have in emergency stores mm -hmm. or like have extra wings that they can put mm -hmm. infectious patients into to have an infectious part of the hospital and contain that. Contain it, right. Like it's not even an option for a lot of hospitals. And right now, a lot of hospitals are facing financial hardship because they don't have enough capital to make the expenditures they have to make to care for all mm -hmm. of these people right now. And they have to cancel elective surgeries and other procedures that, that are currently the things that make them the most money. Yeah. Cause of prioritization. Yeah. They have yeah. to prioritize COVID patients and it's just not safe mm -hmm. for them to do those kinds of surgeries. Like if you want to do a hip replacement, for instance, right now, unless you are in like a real bad pain, you should just not do it. Mm -hmm. You should wait, just put it off for a year. If mm -hmm. you can do it, put it off for a year. And that hip replacement would make the hospital a lot of money. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that makes the hospital money. So there are like clearly endemic problems with lack of preparedness across the whole sector from the providers themselves to government itself. And I guarantee you, even the pandemic response team that existed probably was underfunded, even though it existed. You know, Trump did disband it to his credit or discredit, however you want to phrase that. But even without him disbanding it, when it existed, it probably didn't exist at the level of force it needed to be mm -hmm. at anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know where I was trying to go with this, but we're, we're in this, we're in this time. That's obviously everyone says this is an unprecedented time. It's become like a, like a cliche. We're an unprecedented time. Like everyone is saying that, mm -hmm. but it's true. Um, and I think this is a time to test our resolve as a culture. And I really hope we learn some lessons and spend a little bit more time being prepared for future crises and mm -hmm. don't just get rid of the preparations when nothing happens in 20 years. Yep. 
I can, yeah, I can tell you right now that um, from a healthcare perspective regarding like our lack of infrastructure, there's that to be learned, but also uh, we can learn about how dependent we are on a transient country like China. Yeah, well, yeah, there's certainly that that side too. You know, Uh, pretty devastating. Yeah, I really hope we can learn a lesson of diversifying our supply chains. Yeah, maybe bringing some back here or just diversifying it. Yeah, I so. mean, obviously, we'd I'd love to see us bring stuff back here. I yeah, think in a perfect a, world, right? There's a lot of opportunity for building um, highly automated and highly efficient manufacturing mm-hmm. industry we in the United States. We have a lot States. of resources here still. We do, yeah, like absolutely. So. There's plenty of land, plenty of space. Plenty of um, labor. Plenty of labor and plenty of expertise mm-hmm. to make all that happen. But even if we don't do that, even if we just diversify it and do like do more from like Indonesia and Mexico and yeah, Peru our neighbors and Mexico. like, yep. you know, yep. Eastern Europe and other like cheaper places. That's fine too. I mean, it's still better mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, how do you want to, how do you want to wrap? Well, let's see. We have, uh, we have maybe five minutes left here. Maybe actually, no, we have a little bit more than that. 10 minutes. Okay. Um, any other thoughts on this? That's pretty much it from, from me. I mean, just do, doing the best I can right now. How, yeah. How are you personally adapting? <laughs> well, um, regarding uh, my current routine, it's more or less the same. I'm working from home. Um, that's nice. Uh, I'm starting to mm-hmm. uh, kind of develop a more flexible schedule for myself. Yeah. And we're, by the way, we're going to talk about that in episode That's two. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, I have that going on. Thankfully, I still have my job, you know, markets like hospitality, food, like things like, I mean, they got hit really hard. Mm-hmm. I'm actually in the healthcare field. So like certain divisions of my company have actually been doing okay and are contributing to this. Mm-hmm. Um, Although you're in devices, so actually you're probably going to take a hit too. Yes. Yes. My specific division has taken a hit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm still employed, thankfully. Um, regarding like hobbies, like I'm, I mean, I'm still exercising, uh, doing things at home. It's, it's okay for now. I anticipate like some problems later. You know, it's, I'm, I'm someone that really enjoys being out, being with friends, like Mm -hmm. being active. Um, I feel like I'm going to hit that if this persists, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to hit that like state of depression. We're going to find out if you're truly an extrovert or just an extroverted introvert. Yeah. 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 This quarantine life like so far is okay, but I feel like I'm going to suffer from a pretty hard hangover soon. (laughs) Yeah. I, I've also been working from home. Um, I thankfully will most likely keep my job through this crisis, even though I work for a hotel company um, because I'm in software and they're not going to cut us. Uh, If they're going to cut anywhere, it's going to be somewhere else. We haven't seen any cuts at our company yet. Okay. And, and there's no plans for them at the moment. We, I think according to my CEO, we have more cash than most of our competitors and we don't own many properties. A lot of our competitors own That's their properties. A lot we're, we're franchised, so we're in a good position. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the first like two weeks were cool, and then the next few weeks were kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was f- very much feeling withdrawal from like, you know, I want to see people. I want to yeah. like go out. You know, I can't do. I can't just can't do a lot of the social activities I was doing. Right. Um, and I'm missing out on a lot of that stuff, which is sad. And there was like a grieving period. I have more raw time, but I feel like I'm filling my day with more stressors, like being glued to my phone and things like this. Yeah. Like I never was like this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I feel similarly. Um, I definitely have some bright spots. I, and there's obviously like we had mentioned, like I had mentioned at the beginning, there's people who are talking about, you know, you should use the time to learn a new skill, or do, yeah. you know, and you should like, it's not that that's bad advice. It's just a little tone deaf. Sometimes there are some highlights for me. I've been cooking more, which is great. Oh yeah. Um, I really enjoy cooking and I ha- since I have the time for it, I can really get into it and it's, it's really satisfying. Um, I have actually started doing yoga too. Oh, awesome. <laughs> um, and I started bullet journaling. 
which is sort of a new productivity management what do you system. Bullet journal? Oh, okay. So it's it's mainly for for tracking to dos for the day. Okay, like structuring your week. Um, I don't. I do it on a daily basis. Day, day, cool. Um, and, but it's also you have like multiple levels. So like a daily basis is like the workhorse of what you do, but you also have a monthly basis, and then you have the future log cool. for the future. Awesome. So if you're like, oh, I got to do this thing in May or whatever, you can just stick it down in there so you don't forget. Uh, I also use it as a habit tracker, um, a sleep tracker, a couple of little miscellaneous things. Awesome. And the beauty of bullet journaling is since it's on paper, it's fully customizable. You can just add whatever you want to it. So if I find something else I want to track, I can just add it in there. Or I can start writing in journal entries and stuff. Like, yeah, you know, sure. it's, it's really up flexible to you. like that. It's up to you. Um, yeah, you format it at will, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, habits like that, that hopefully people are picking up with this free time are not going to go away. Yeah. I'd say, you know, once we go back to like the normal, the normal routine, um, I do think that like daily walks, um, like journaling, maybe new skills that people are picking up while being at home. Yeah. Uh, those are going to now be incorporated into people's lives i really hope so you know what i'm saying yeah um so that's you know I'm, I'm i'm hopeful for that there's definitely there's definitely a few bright spots for me that i think are going to stay um you know the flip side being there's a lot of other things i want to do and i do have more time on my hands and realistically i have enough time to do a lot of these mm-hmm. things but i haven't because like Same. most people like i'm anxious i'm depressed like we're all human. Like I have like an internal is... productive p- police that keeps like <laughs> banging on my door too. I know. Right. And then, and then you feel bad when you don't fulfill it of and course. it just makes it worse. Of course. Um, I'm getting like eight hours of sleep though. I can't complain. <laughs> you know me. Yeah. That's not normal. No, not at Little all. Things like that though. I'm capitalizing yeah, on. It's like so. 50% more than usual. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hundred percent more than previous. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Well, you know, that's not reproducible. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> that was a short term thing you could do in your yeah. early 20s. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I'm at like, uh, I am probably about eight hours a day on average, eight to nine, which is honestly pretty normal for me. It's maybe a little bit more than usual, not much more. Um, but yeah, like, this is a stressful time. Like, mm-hmm. as much as, as much as I have done some nice, cool new things that I really like and I'm really hopeful will continue into the future. I have also, I think, missed a lot of opportunities to do other things that I wanted to do. And there have been times where I have gotten on myself about that. And that's really not helpful. But I have anyway, because I'm not perfect. Um, that's okay. So, yeah. Aspect. Aspects of that behavior are why you have a lot of goals for yourself. So it's, exactly. like, it's a give and take thing, you know? So if, you, if you're out there and you felt similar things, just know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand there's an expectation that you should use all this time to your betterment, whether that's coming from yourself or from external sources or both. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's primarily coming from myself. Uh, but you're not going to be perfect. The and only person who can really cripple you for it. Any sense of inadequacies yourself? Yes. Ultimately, so, yes. It ultimately. comes down to your own perception of yourself mm-hmm. and, and your own expectations of yourself. Yep. So uh, I'm not going to tell you to lower your expectations of yourself because that sounds weird. Um, and it's you don't necessarily need to, but just you can be a little more forgiving. Mm-hmm. There's just a balance because like urgency can come from wanting more and not necessarily being comfortable. But at the same time, like if you're appreciative of what you have and who you are and just life in general, you're less likely to burn out. Yes. Like prematurely too. Yeah. So, and if you have a day where you just like watch Netflix all day, so be it. Yeah. It's a reset day. It happens. I've had a few of those. Yeah. I'm becoming more forgiving with things like that too. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, Tiger King. I haven't watched it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't plan on watching it, honestly. Fair enough. It's one of those things, like, if I'm... I look at it, like, when I do something like Netflix, it's like spending brain cells, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And do I really want to spend it on watching hillbillies be hillbillies? In this case, yes. 
<laughs> and this coming from me. I don't watch TV. Yeah, Go honestly, watch it. coming from you, like that's this like the biggest endorsement so far. Yeah. <laughs> That I've gone. I've heard like you should watch it from several people, mm, and of course many matter. celebrities. But right. it didn't matter, right? But like coming from you, like that's <laughs> really actually the matter. most meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most meaningful endorsement. I'm still probably not going to do yeah. it. Though. <laughs> and on that note, we will catch you all. In the- <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Be nice to yourself. Um, enjoy the time you've got. If you live with your family, enjoy mm-hmm. your family. If you live on your own. Try to get better at enjoying yourself. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not always 100% perfect on that. Uh, but yeah, it's not going to be that bad. We're all going to be okay. We'll get through it. Um, some people are going to be hurt, but chances are it won't be you. You kind of just got to truck on knowing that mm. in a time like this. So. We will catch you next time. Take care.